everyone, and welcome to the Balanced Purpose Podcast. My name is Ray Trevino, and I am your host. Each week, we will explore the essential elements of living a fulfilling, balanced, and meaningful life. Our podcast brings together entrepreneurs, business executives, coaches, and everyday people like you and me who have seen challenges and have overcome adversities to create success and find balance in their lives. Whether you're a young professional seeking to make an impact in your career, a parent looking to balance work and family life, or a retiree seeking to create a new purpose, our podcast is something for everyone. So join us as we delve into the world of living a balanced and purposeful life and discover how you can create a life of balance and purpose for yourself. Today's guest is a fitness-obsessed girl dad who is the pastor and director of spiritual care at the Hope Project. I would like to introduce Ian Mai to our show. Ian, how you doing, man? Oh, doing great, Ray. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. It's so great to have you on the show. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe throwing a fun fact that most people don't know about you? Yeah. So funnily enough, being a pastor, that's actually one of the most unknown facts about me. I've been in, in tech for the better part of a decade, been in bodybuilding for about a decade. So when I tell people I'm also a pastor, they were just absolutely blown away by that. And we can talk about more what that journey looks like. But one of the unknown facts that people don't know about me, I can solve a seven by seven Rubik's Cube and I can also ride a unicycle. So not at the same time, not quite to that level just yet. That was my next question. So you beat me to it. <laughs> I, I'm familiar with that, that follow-up question. So yeah, I, I had to get to it first. So Pastor Ian... How did that come about? How'd that start? Well, how, how far back do we want to go? So funny that I, I say 10 years in tech, 10 years in bodybuilding. Interesting for me too is 10 years of a spiritual journey as well. So I was actually a militant atheist in college, really angry with my perception of, of who God was, some of my experiences in church growing up. I moved to Austin, Texas out of college. I was living this kind of party, free-spirited lifestyle that didn't serve me, was very much so a, a functioning alcoholic, struggled with alcohol quite a bit. But I got to that, you know, just typical point of being a crumbled heap in a mess in a shower. I prayed for the first time in five years. And I just said, God, if, if you exist, this can't be it for me. And within 24 hours, my ex-girlfriend from college that I wasn't speaking to, was not on speaking terms. She messaged me and said, hey, here's this Bible verse that you need to hear. Fast forward, that ex-girlfriend's now my wife and the mother of my three-year-old daughter with one more on the way at the end of March. So Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's very exciting. But ever since then, all of these angry questions that I had, all of these theories and concepts that I held on to from being this atheist... I had to go answer those questions because I asked this very humble question of, of my perception of God. And now I've got to dig into what it all means. What are these answers of this kind of bitterness and hurt that I experienced? So over 10 years, just spent that time and started to relate fitness and growth and development to these spiritual concepts, which ultimately led me to connecting with Pastor Trey, the original founder of the Hope Project, where we are planting churches inside of gyms and really teaching people what spiritual fitness looks like and how to build your spiritual muscles. I want to dive further into the fitness and spirituality connection. But first, I'd like to ask, what was the verse that your ex-girlfriend, now wife, told you? Neither of us remember it. So we need to get together and just decide on the verse. I would love to say that there's a life verse there that I've held on to, but I think it's more important that the conversation happened over what the verse was. Mm -hmm. The verse was, was just the catalyst to the conversation mm -hmm. that I had with God and just that answer. So as much as I'd like to say I have this perfect verse and it's my life verse, 
It's not necessarily the case. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But maybe my wife and I can get together and decide on a good life first just to capitalize on that story. Well, and, and the reason I ask is because I, I have a similar spiritual story. I was a pretty hardcore alcoholic. I mean, I could drink like nobody's business. And I went through a phase in my life where I almost lost everything. I remember the day it was actually in, in this office. I got on my knees and I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And then all of a sudden, Mark 1045 just appeared in front of me. I was reading through scriptures and I was like, God, talk to me. And I'm sure you know the verse for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. It was an aha moment. I, I realized that my entire life had just been focused on the outside looking in. I was just worried about what the world thought about me, what I needed to drive, what I needed to wear, who I needed to be for everyone else. And I wasn't projecting from the inside out, which was serving everyone else with my heart, right? And I knew at that moment that I had to change and I needed to fix myself so that I could serve others starting at home. And it's it's funny that you uh, met Rich Froning because shortly after that, I started seeing Mark 1045 all over his stuff. And so I've reached out to him a couple of times and and he's definitely going to be a guest one day. But the whole reason I brought up the spiritual verse is because, you know, sometimes it could be seriously impactful and and just create a message that completely changes our lives. Now, I'm going to go to the exact opposite. What led you away from the church? Some of it has to do with what I experienced with a little bit of church hurt. This is one way of looking at it. My dad was kind of an acting president of the church organization that I grew up in, which really is more like executive leader, right? He's sort of an executive of operations within the church. And there's always these moments when sometimes when you see how the sausage is made, you can start to feel a little bit of separation. And then people themselves can start to misrepresent the nature of God and how they treat you and how they treat others. And when you're a kid, and I think you know this in being a parent, kids can smell hypocrisy from a mile away, right? And uh, I saw a lot of that. But then you add to it that I was very mathematical. I got a degree in electrical engineering. Uh, I had essentially two math minors. So my perception of the infinite universe and randomness of it all, I was pretty strong in that. But part of the reason for me going in that direction of mathematics and engineering was that numbers can't hurt you. Numbers don't lie to you. Numbers aren't creating this bitterness and hurt. There was through all of that some spiritual abuse. I witnessed some physical and sexual abuse that was pretty difficult for me to rectify growing up. But then ultimately recognizing that while all of those things definitely happened, none of that represented the nature of God. And then being able to heal through all of those things and being able to slowly but surely build up my ability to come back into community, come back into connection and recognizing that everybody in the world is looking for identity, community and purpose. And when you start to move away from, let's not even call it the church, from, from connection with people and this really close-knit community, if you're in this sense of hurt and bitterness and potentially abuse, it's going to be hard for you to feel safe and connected with those people. So healing that is a large part of how you can come out of it. And for me personally, learning the nature of God and how God can continue to work through my own hurt Now that's the thing that empowers me the most. I love the conversations that I get to have with people who are agnostic, people who are atheist, because typically there is some bitterness and hurt that they've come out of, that they don't know how to rectify the loving nature of God through that. And I have no problem being able to sit with them, sit with their hurt, potentially directing it at me, this anger and bitterness that they have for God at me and being able to calmly tell them, 
I don't believe that represents the nature of God and God loves you and wants a deep and personal, intimate relationship with you. It's meeting them in that place that I think is extremely powerful. And then being able to just slowly but surely work them from anger and bitterness to this sense of peace and calm that can really only come from connection to something that is infinite and greater than we can understand. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm just throwing the book of the Bible at them. Because again, in spiritual abuse that I've witnessed, sometimes the beatings that you took came with wrote scripture being spoken to you that there isn't safety in that either. So digging into what is the nature of God, how do we use scripture in the first place? And then even being able to talk about the practical applications of faith, practical applications of why has prayer lasted the test of time? What is it? What happens in your body when you go through that process? Like, why is that important? You can use the power of prayer and it's accessible to you. Even if you aren't necessarily calling on God with a capital G the way that I do, God can still represent himself well in the power of those practical applications. Very well said. Wow. I'm still absorbing all of that. What did your healing journey look like? So it was a lot of deep internal work. Some of it is really, you know, the scripture about capturing your thoughts. As much as that seems like a platitude for people who are in the church and read the Bible often, what that means to me is being able to understand and recognize that I don't have to give energy to every thought that I have so that these thoughts like, I'm not safe in community or people suck (laughs) or Mm -hmm. if I am vulnerable with people, I'm only going to get hurt. Recognizing that while that might have been true historically, that isn't God's purpose and meaning and intention for my life. So being able to look at thoughts that I might have, thoughts that are driving belief, and then my actions relating to that, looking at and critiquing, like very harshly critiquing all of my thoughts and separating them from my sense of self. There's so much power in being able to recognize like this thought that I have isn't is either isn't me or isn't serving me. And being able to do that starts to allow you to unlearn some of the hurt and trauma that you have from the past, either done by others or even the hurt that you're continuing to do to yourself as a result of trauma that you've had from others. You're in my experiences with alcohol. Nobody caused me to be abusing alcohol. No one forced me to do that. Those are the behaviors that I was doing. And I have to take ownership of the thoughts and beliefs that led to those actions and the perception that I had of myself in that space. Right. And I, I believe that to be the case for truly any addiction. Right? And there's a lot of work that I do with men in, in a pastoral way around pornography and alcohol and anything that can potentially have these high dopamine or high pleasure-seeking activities, that all of it can come down to your willingness to sit with really deep hurt, tough feelings, and just have this uh, overwhelming sense of grace for yourself and making room for all of those hard feelings while also not necessarily giving all of them your full attention and energy. Now, do you feel that a lot of these coping mechanisms like porn and even alcoholism are being amplified nowadays? For different reasons, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a a celebration of you only live once, that everything good is happening somewhere else, right? That alcohol is based on the use of alcohol in large quantities, especially for the younger generation, is all about community and connection. The majority of the times that I would drink was never alone. I would never have a drink by myself in my own apartment. It was only when I was surrounded by other people but I continue to keep making opportunities for me to be surrounded by other people in order to make room for alcohol. So 
there's part of that with respect to the alcohol. The pornography is like almost the exact opposite. And this is typically where, because of the fact that it's something you do completely alone, isolated, that it starts to make it to where you feel like you can't connect with other people, that it's easier for you to stay home alone, enjoying and imbibing in this one type of content rather than going out and doing the hard things of connecting and building really deep, meaningful relationships. Well, even community and connections are getting harder and harder now because of uh, mobile devices and, and computers and everything else that we've uh, created for an easier and a better world. I mean, if you think back to like the 50s or the 60s where smoking was cool, and then later on, we found that, you know, after years and years of people smoking, they started dying because of lung cancer. I think that these cell phones that we have, because you see kids now everywhere with them, not talking to each other, like you can go to a playground of a school and see kids or a high school or junior high. And instead of talking to each other, playing football, doing things like we used to do growing up, they're all on their phones. They're next to each other, but they're texting probably each other. And so I think that the cell phone has become the new cigarette. And we're going to find that here in the next few years, that connection and community are just going to fall by the wayside and get taken over by something just that, that's, that's awful and evil. Because, I mean, even though kids and teenagers may have their cell phones in an innocent way, they may be Googling stuff or looking up cool things. It's just one click away from porn and then something else and something else and something else that becomes another addiction that's just going to ruin their lives. How do you feel we can combat that nowadays? How can we improve community and connection? I love that question. I mean, just even wanted to highlight the fact that mobile phones were, were never the issue, right? It's what's revealed in us in this God-sized vacuum of a hole that we don't have that's revealed. Now we're given access to the infinite internet, the tree of knowledge, right? We have this apple that illuminates the tree of knowledge and it's immediate, it's available and it's very close in proximity. So I don't necessarily want to say that mobile devices are bad in of themselves, but the way that we use them are. But even to the point of you and I are connecting right now over the infinite internet, which is this amazing power that we have. However, you and I aren't even making eye contact with each other, right? I'm looking at your eyes, but you're not seeing me and feel me. I'd have to look into the eye of this camera for you to feel like I'm looking into your eyes. And so even that body language itself, like that power, when you can see my eyes meet yours and you can feel that presence and connection that I see you, I love you, and I appreciate this time that we're going to spend together. There is something unique about that that we're just not going to be able to do. So to your question about how do we continue to increase the, the prevalence of community and connection is making that time together extremely valuable in ways that you can't compete with over the internet online. And so as an example with the nature of how we go about doing things with the Hope Project, best way to build connection with some other person is having this mutual suffering. There's a connection that you have with your siblings because, you know, you have this bond over something you struggled with, you know, walking to and from the bus stop uphill both ways, three feet of snow like that. That mutual suffering brings a bond closer between you and your siblings. And in the same way, things like exercise, you and I doing a workout together because we are with each other mutually suffering, we're manufacturing that suffering, but the ability to sit in that suffering together, it unblocks some amount of walls that we have. There's a connection that really can't be competed with over the web, 
over mobile phones. We need to exaggerate the benefits of those things. But to your point, I think what I'm seeing right now as COVID sanctions are, are dropping, I'm seeing more and more people looking to connect, more organizations who are intentionally building retreats and group meditations and all of these things to manufacture and build community based on sort of this mutual suffering and, and mutual mission. What does the process look like over at the Hope Project? I'm trying to think how and where I would fit scripture in. Is it in between each rep? Do you guys get together before or after? It's, it's really, really cool and fascinating to me. So I was excited to hear about this. We have a few different modes of operation. Most commonly, we have something that's called Hope Groups, which to the layman is a community workout, but then also includes some amount of Bible study. So one of our earliest groups is called Fight Club. It's a men's group that we meet Friday mornings, every single morning at 6.30 at CrossFit 737 out in Dripping Springs. We do 45-minute workout followed by another 45 minutes of group Bible study where we're digging into each other's lives. We're sharing our prayer requests that we have. And as a result of us going through this workout together, there is some amount of we fought the bear together. All of our walls have been brought down. We have a little bit more willingness to be vulnerable. If you've seen this in person, you're watching 30 and 40 grown men, tough Texan men who really aren't vulnerable, emotional people having these really deep emotional conversations and this deep sharing that really only comes from you having gone through this process of shedding those walls and shedding those those boundaries that can only come from coming down off of intense exercise. So that's kind of one of the things that we do with Hope Groups. One of the things that we're doing to support other places is we actually provide uh, devotionals, weekly devotionals for groups to be able to use. And we've created a weekly cadence that we provide leaders of those groups everything that they need to lead a hope group, to be able to go through and here's what your reading is for the day. Here's the questions that you can prompt people for discussion and conversation. And pretty much this done for you Bible study, specifically with the language of fitness and correlating all of these spiritual fitness ideas with fitness concepts that people are, are accustomed to with running, weightlifting, it was born out of kind of CrossFit culture. So there is a significant amount of, of CrossFit terms that are, are relating to it. Pastor Trey is one former former CrossFitter, CrossFit gym owner, multiple times through, but also a former Ironman competitor. So there's just a lot of different modes of fitness analogies that come to write those devotionals. Me being a bodybuilder, I can't help but throw my bodybuilding twist on me on the fitness references, but that's one of the things that we're doing. The other part is that we're actually planting a gym here in Austin in 2024 as one of the first community fitness churches to essentially help with life transformation through spiritual fitness and actually having a facility that is designed to be the church Monday through Saturday to help people be able to do life together and have fitness be at the center of all of it. I want to go there. Me too. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Yeah, that is exciting. So I, I have a very specific morning ritual. I wake up in gratitude. And as I've said before on the show, I roll right onto my knees before even letting my feet hit the floor. And, you know, I give thanks, I give praise, and then I meditate. And so when I, I meditate, put my clothes on and head straight to the gym, I'll jump on the treadmill. And that's where I read my daily devotionals. People usually leave me alone because I go to a small gym in, in Spring Branch, Texas. And so we all know each other there. 
And what's funny is that then I get into my workout and I usually listen to some pretty hardcore music, sometimes some old school gangster rap or whatever. And the transition is funny. My wife will call me and if I'm in the middle of a workout, I'm like, what do you need? I'm in the middle of carjacking someone, you know? And, and so I was, I was trying, <laughs> I was trying to think on how I would, how I would work spirituality into it. But I guess I could listen to, to worship music, you know, while I'm working out. I mean, that, that is an option. That is something that a lot of gyms do. You talk about Rich Froning. I mean, that is what he does mm-hmm. in CrossFit Mayhem. One of the things I'll encourage you to do, just as a caveat, that when you're, when you're in the gym, there is some amount of fighting the bear, right? Like you, you are in that fight or flight. You can use angry, aggressive music to help create that, to lift harder, move things stronger. The argument that I would make, though, is that if you can't leave the fight there in that space and have peace the moment that you leave, then you're still in the fight. And you're still Mm. bringing that fight into the world, in your relationships, at work, in your home. So the addition that I would make to that is before you leave the gym, go through that 10-minute period where you are completely decompressing, meditating, slowing your breathing down to get you into that state of rest and recovery. From a scientific term, it's called the parasympathetic nervous system. Get yourself into that state of rest and then when you get into your car, that's when you should listen to your worship music to really come down off of that intense fight, whether you're fighting the demons, fighting the bear, fighting that 300-pound squat that just feels like the weight of the world on your shoulders, to then being able to leave all of that there in that space so that you can have peace, can have joy the moment you leave that environment. So doing that through prayer, meditation, breathing, and then worship music, that gratitude is going to have a significant impact. And there will be a physical response that you'll have in being able to absorb calories better, recover better from your workouts, and ultimately be able to do more in both the world as well as in the gym. I've never incorporated worship music into my post-workout ritual, but that's exactly what I do. I'll shut the music off, and on my drive home, I'll breathe slowly, and I'll I'll meditate while driving. And then as soon as I hit the shower, it, it just continues the meditation. It's just quiet, and that's where I do all my thinking, my decompressing, and then I... I move on to my day, but you know what? I'm going to incorporate some worship music that actually sounds really peaceful and great. And that's a good way to give back and give praise for giving me the ability to do what I just did. Right. I don't necessarily want to dissuade you from that quiet time though either, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think that quiet time is essential when you start trying to separate your own thoughts versus the voice of God, right? And it's prompting to... Mm go do more, build something greater and have this intentional purpose with your life. But if you want to add an extra five minutes to your wind down routine to add that worship music, I think it can be significant in that physical response that your body can have. So I will say that I am a huge advocate for quiet time and meditation time. And I do it several times a day because in my opinion, I like to keep that connection and those channels open. Because I, I do, I have a lot going on and there are a lot of things I do between the businesses and, and coaching and the podcast. And so I can't do it all myself, right? I need at least three, four, sometimes five times a day to communicate in silence, I guess would be the best way to say it. Yeah. I love that you're doing that regularly because, you know, one, yes, yeah, starting your day from this place of intentionality, knowing what your purpose is, feeling this connection with God, but then that one person cuts you off in traffic and you're flipping them the bird and you're cussing them out and you're like, Oh shoot, I got all right, back to my worship music. Um, you know, praise be. And, and you, <laughs> that's like, you're just going to continue to go through those ebbs and flows. Yeah. 
right? But but being able to really focus your intention on, all right, I'm about to have this really hard conversation with an employee of mine. How do I make sure that I'm still representing the love that God has for this person and see them as a child of God while also still being able to have these hard conversations about the business and where performance is still something that is expected while also being able to say, through my actions, not just my words, that, hey, you're loved and I see you. That's great. And it's been a lot of work to get to this point. If you knew where I was five years ago, I was just walking chaos. And so a question that I like to ask that I, I, that I learned from a mentor of mine in, in C12 is that if they did not know I was Christian, would they know I was Christian? And that's basically determined by my actions and how I live my life and the things I say and the things that I do. And and it's, it's important. I mean, it's important to slow down and think. I mean, that's the thing that Jesus called us to, right? They will know you by the way that you love and the way that you love each other. They won't know you by your rote memorization of, of Bible passages. They'll know you by the way that you love. So how do you keep balance in your life? What, what keeps you going? How do you keep it all together and centered? Yeah, I, I think some of that has to do with how intentional I am with unblocking that hateful critic that I have in my mind, right? And so, I mean, how do you go from being militant atheist to being a pastor and writing devotionals, speaking without this perception of, well, you don't have a seminary degree. What kind of pastor could you possibly be if you don't have a thousand verses memorized? Like, how are you going to lead people to Christ if you don't have that? So a lot of that is unblocking those thoughts, being able to continue to speak truth into those places. So some of it is being able to know what are the thoughts that are serving my purpose versus what aren't. Some of that is routine. Like you said, I wake up every single day, Monday through Saturday. Sundays, I give myself a little bit of recovery time, extra sleep. But Monday through Saturday, I'm waking up at 4.30. I'm doing my Bible reading from 4.30 to 5 and journaling. Then 5 o'clock until 7, that's when I'm getting my workouts in or other deep work. Seven to nine o'clock is when I'm doing more of the work for the coaching businesses and the spiritual coaching. I mean, there's three different coaching businesses I'm working on currently. So doing the pastoral coaching with the Hope Project, doing fitness and life coaching through uh, Ian May coaching, and then also porn addiction recovery coaching through pornelimination.com. I have all these things that I'm juggling while also then still doing my work from nine to five. That That is the way that I, I pay the bills significantly that's still in tech culture. So the ability to be very clear about this time is allocated to this thing. And as soon as I get to that thing, what is emotionally blocking me from being intentional and purposeful with this hour time that I have for myself so that I can show up to work to be the best version of myself, still loving and considerate of all of my colleagues. And then finally being able to shut all of that off so that I still am showing up at five o'clock every afternoon as the best father and husband that I can be, how often do we get kind of stuck in this place of, I need an hour to just completely wind down off of this really tough meeting that I had, this managerial conversation that was painful. And now all of a sudden, you know, I've got a three-year-old. She, none of those things are important to her. None of that is going to help me put on that green tutu and do a, a ballerina dance, <laughs> dance party in the living room, right? So how do I make sure that I'm just continually showing up at all of those places? And a lot of that has to do with being very intentional with how I start my day. And to your point, it's being very intentional with everything I'm doing throughout the day. So, I mean, I'm measuring everything I eat Monday through Friday because of the fact that I'm eating it for the purpose of this is going to serve me 
serve my body and keep my brain functioning at the high level that I'm expecting it to. I'm picturing you in a tutu doing a ballerina dance. There's photo evidence and I have no shame in sharing it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait to see that blog. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Being intentional about what you do is important, especially when you're coaching and have a business and then family. I can't tell you how important family is. I mean, when I, when my life came to crashing Holt and I redesigned it, I redesigned it with them right in the center. So you're absolutely correct. Your kids don't care about what's going on at work or what somebody said about you or that person that cut you off in traffic. You know, they just want that unconditional love and that daddy time. Yeah. And that's certainly most important. Well, especially I think, you know, and being a girl dad, the way that you show up is more in the type of presence that you have than anything, right? It's, are you willing to play pretend are you willing to step into that role that they have for you? Because if you've ever played with a three-year-old, they have a very clear idea of what character they are, what character you're going to be, and you really don't have uh, a lot of say in that. Halloween, as an example, she wanted to be Moana, and I was pretty stoked about being Maui for Halloween, but no, I get to be Hey Hey the chicken, and that's, <laughs> that's all there is to it. So how do you... How do you how do you step into that chicken costume and being like I'm going to be the best thing hey hey chicken that ever did walk the face of the sidewalk and some of that has to just do with the fact that my playful nature I'm more than happy to make a complete idiot of myself but also some of that has to do with I know and I'm intentional with that time because I know it's not going to last forever there's going to be a time mm-hmm. when I'm not the cool dad I am just going to be a chicken rather than that amazing father that she sees me to be right now, but preparing for that and just enjoying every piece of it. The the more important part of all of that, I think, is acknowledging the fact that the addictions and things also keep me from experiencing how amazing it is when if I'm stuck in this sort of dopamine addictive behavior, whether that's alcohol or pornography or doom scrolling on social media, doesn't matter what it is, those small moments aren't going to feel as amazing as massive if you're just kind of constantly riding this high dopamine when all of a sudden your daughter says, Hey dad, can we lay in the yard and look at clouds together? Absolutely. That is the exact thing I want to do. And there's nothing else keeping my attention right now. That's keeping me from being present and available and just emotionally fully in this moment. That's the thing that I want for everybody is to fully unblock themselves from all of the busyness that's keeping them from experiencing that stare at the clouds moment. That's my life goal. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. So now let's talk about your purpose. How do you define purpose in your life? I love this question. So I think for me in kind of transitioning away from what I've done in technology and engineering and, you know, tech to focusing a great deal on personal development and not necessarily my personal development, because that's the thing that I've been doing in the background for the last 10 years is now being able to help other people realize what that can look like for them. So how do I help them go through some of the healing that I went through? How can I help them go through this belief that you're capable of doing more and then blocking yourself from the things that are holding you back while using, yes, I mean, there's obviously some amount of that that is rooted in faith and some amount of that is rooted in the science that I can use neurobiology and behavioral psychology to my purpose, right? Like, how do I separate myself from my thoughts? Okay, yeah, there's a Bible verse, capture your thoughts that I can reference. But now practically speaking, how do I do that? Like I'm working with other pastors 
to help them do that. Rote memorization of the Bible isn't necessarily going to fix their problems and unblock the things that are keeping them. So purpose and being purpose driven for me now is being as present as I can with the people who are now needing to have the healing that I have helped myself over the last 10 years, but being able to do it in a shorter amount of time and being able to relay that information in practical steps and then blocking them on this is the action that you can take today to maximize your effectiveness in recovering from the gym, in being able to show up as, as a better father or husband, being able to maximize your impact at work, potentially making it to where you can get more work done in less time. So all of those things, I think, are what I've gathered and gained over the last 10 years. I just want for everybody that I'm engaged in interacting with. And so all of that purpose comes down to seeing, seeing the potential in everybody that I'm talking to and then being able to help them manufacture that. Talk about balance, right? Scientific and spiritual approach. I really like that. So what led you to discover your purpose? I think once I unblocked myself from the interpersonal connections that I was missing and starting to regain my sense of meaning through community, through the men's groups that I'm part of, through the church organizations that I know I serve, but then pastor over, a lot of that came down to what are the things that I feel more energy doing that I just obsess over? I will ruminate about this conversation for probably the next week about how amazing this discussion is on living out your purpose, feeling connected, deeply spiritual work that has practical applications. I will ruminate on this for days after this. I feel set on fire with this conversation and the purpose behind it. I think the more we start to align what that looks like for us, what are the activities that you can do on a regular basis that's going to set your heart on fire that you can just want to do that all day, every day, while also then kind of unblocking the things that suck a little bit. Some of the mundane details, how can I embrace the mundane? So I think just starting to understand and learn what are your values? How are you uniquely wired so that you can fully understand in this moment, out of this mundane task, what is something that I know that I can align this mundane task to my values so that I am getting more on fire to go do the task? If I do this task well, this is the thing I'm going to unlock. I think this is tough to be able to align to, but you know, I stepped on stage in my underwear in front of a couple thousand people for a bodybuilding competition. One person's nightmare being in their underwear in front of a whole crowd, something that I, I paid money to go do and was something I fixated on for a decade. <laughs> so how do you align though those really uncomfortable goals with your values so that it is something that on a daily basis, when it gets hard, when it's miserable, you are constantly feeling just not only motivated, but that sense of discipline. You know, many of us have nightmares about standing in front of a bunch of people in our underwear. So I'm glad you paid money to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do it so you don't have to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, we, we talked on this a little earlier. Uh, we live in a, a world that's, I, I feel, disconnected, distorted, and very dark. And if you want to talk about sin, I mean, sin is creeping at every corner, you know, waiting to crack that door open at any moment. It's all around us. How do you manage to stay focused and connected to your purpose during times like these? I think one of the things that I've started to understand and acknowledge growing up in the church, sin was very much so seen as this just inherent evil and that death and destruction and hell were waiting on the other side of it. And one of the things that's really changed for me over the last decade 
hasn't necessarily been that sin is something to like fear or be afraid of. It's more so to understand. And that the more I can continue to chip away at removing sin in my life, the more I'm feeling the presence of God in my life. And so, you know, we talk about the fruit of the spirit, right? Peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things only happen as you continue to remove sin, right? And the problem is, is when you're very young in your faith and, or, or immature in your faith, you hear sin and you kind of hear condemnation. You hear not even just discipline, but punishment. You don't hear discipline, you hear punishment, which I think really puts people ill at ease versus just being able to say, I'm not reaching my fullest potential. And there's beauty on the other side of that. And it doesn't mean that my life is going to be perfect, but it allows me to feel safer, more connected, more loved, despite what I'm going through in my life. So the reason why it's important to acknowledge and be aware of where there is sin in your life is being able to fully experience the love and grace that's available to you. And I'll, I'll just kind of share this recent event for me. My wife being pregnant right now, when we were at about, maybe it was eight, eight to nine weeks pregnant, we believed that she was experiencing an ectopic pregnancy, which essentially meant we were experiencing a miscarriage. And we didn't have a lot of information, but that's essentially what we were being told by doctors and told to go to the emergency room. So we were in the emergency room 10 o'clock until three o'clock in the morning. And that is not the place you want to be. The fluorescent lights, the just wailing in the emergency rooms, like it, it's not the place you want to be. And yet I felt this overwhelming sense of love and connection and God being able to say, I have a plan for your family and it's going to be okay. I can't explain that from any natural sense, like all of the, the guys in 400 AD, all those old guys that helped kind of put together the books of the Bible, none of them informed me of that connection and that sense of peace for what I've experienced now. So I use the Bible as a tool, but it, the purpose of that tool is for me to create this deep and personal connection to God. So when I'm in these dark times, I refer back to all of the ways that God has shown up in my own life. And if I don't know what that presence looks like in my own life, I look to the other stories where God has shown up for these other people to try to learn and understand the nature of God that is available to me too. So to your question about what do we do in these dark times, it is continuing to affirm and reaffirm the things that we know to be true about the nature of God. And if you don't know what that nature of God is, maybe because you've experienced hurt, something with respect to religious leaders or other people who say that they're representing God, if it doesn't continue to increase and encourage love in your life and love and connection, then it probably didn't represent God very well. So unblocking that to truly experience his love and peace for you, despite the fact that you might be in an emergency room in a panic, believing that your, your kid's not going to survive. And yet God has a purpose and intent for your life to feel peace in a storm that you had no business feeling peaceful. in. That gave me goosebumps. And I can't help but think that the removal of fear is incorporating God into that space because without God, then you're filled with fear. That's, that's great. Now, there are many people out there that are struggling to find their purpose. You know, somebody could be out there deep in alcoholism and, and not knowing what to do with their life. What's some advice that you would give to someone who's struggling right now? I think the best advice that I can give, and I think this one... If it's coming from the wrong place, I want people to hear my heart in this. 
when you're absolutely struggling, oftentimes you're really deeply stuck in your own experience, your own perspective, your own struggle. And the best way to really overcome that is to sit with somebody else's struggle. The way that you serve others won't fix what you're going through, but will help you start to feel this sense of purpose because it's doing something that's outside of your own struggle, hurt, and current experience. So finding a way that you can serve others, even in the smallest capacity, can make a difference in pulling you out of that place. The reason why a lot of addicts, regardless of what substance it is, just in general, typically struggle with habitual narcissism. All of it is very inward looking, inward facing, that inward experience. And it removes your ability to understand your identity, the connection of who you say that you are, who God says you are, community, your connection to other people, and even community being able to reaffirm and help you continue to realize who you are as a person, and then your purpose, right? And so all of those things, if you're stuck in identity and community or your lack of either, you won't be able to move into that purpose and, and intentionality. So the first thing you can do is figure out what is the smallest rock that I can lift and is going to be the thing that's going to serve somebody else. And there are moments in time, especially for me in my bodybuilding career, bodybuilding is one of the most selfish sports that you can do. It is all about my workout, my diet, my rest. If you come to me with an argument or something that's going to cause me stress, if I'm stressed, I'm not burning fat. So I can't even talk to you because I'm trying to be 5% body fat on stage. So it's very selfish. But there's these moments in time that I experience when I did not want to be in the gym. I did not want to be on the Stairmaster burning a thousand calories in a day to try to be as lean as I can. But I'm able to immediately in that moment pray into God, there's another reason why you have me here today. And usually not long after that prayer, that happens. One example, I was on a Stairmaster, as one does when you're trying to lose weight. Uh, and there was a person next to me that we were both kind of trudging along together. And afterwards, I kind of high-fived them, asked them what their story was. And you know, they're asking me, how do I get as lean as you? How do I do X, Y, or Z stuff? And, and I just talked with them about understanding all of the things. What is it for you that's keeping you blocked? And they just shared, I can't go to bed without a glass of whiskey every single night. And I doubled down on it. Like every night, why not? And they just said, I haven't been able to forgive myself because a week after I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, he died in a motorcycle accident. And this is the drink that he had every single day. Those are the moments when it's like, it was never about me. It was never about my workout. It was never about the thing that I was doing. And it was this most selfish act for me to be able to invite somebody else into that space and say, God, like, who do you have for me right now that I need to be able to have a good word for? And I could look at them and say, you're the reason why I showed up to the gym today. Because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my workout. I've put on enough muscle. I've lost enough fat. This, this is the person that I'm, I'm here to serve today. And I think when you ask that question of who can I serve today and for God to put that person in your path, you'd be surprised at how many opportunities you get to speak to people and share a loving word, say a nice prayer, and helping them to remind them of who God says they are. I love that answer. You know, my uh, morning my morning prayer in, it is a prayer that I call include me, right? And I ask God to include me in whatever he has planned. I just wanted to add that to piggyback to your, your story, and I love that answer. 
So, hey, Ian, this has been a fun time today. And if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you and know more about the Hope Project, what's a good website that they could possibly go to to hear about your devotionals and daily workouts and all the great stuff you guys are doing? You know, if you're looking to to understand what the Hope Project is doing with spiritual fitness, uh, if you want access to our devotionals, uh, we also put out on our Instagram a daily spiritual workout of the day. Uh, It's varied. Every single day is different. Give you unique ways to build your faith and build your practices around prayer, journaling, moving in the word. We put that on our Instagram. So our, our Instagram is hope and ATX and our website, hope and You can, you can find us there. Well, this has been a great conversation today, Ian. I thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. And I think we need to do this again really, really soon. I'm really thankful for, for the time. This has been good. Balanced Purpose Podcast was created and hosted by me, Ray Trevino, and is produced and edited by Nick Galtney. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Check us out at balancedpurposepodcast.com and on Instagram at balancedpurposepodcast. Remember, finding your purpose is a journey, not a destination, and it takes time and effort to achieve balance. Make it a great day.